I write in, in my research that we see faces, we see eyes, we see little kids or even adults, but we have no idea what they have experienced. We have no idea. And, um, you know, you do get to some situations where children do share their stories, but even then the teachers are ill-equipped. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sofronis. Before we get started with this week's episode, I have two important announcements for you. First, we are really excited to kick off our new teacher shout-out feature. You'll hear the first one at the end of this episode. The idea is really simple. You record a short voice memo on your computer or mobile device, giving a shout-out to an educator who's making an impact on English learners, and you send it to us. We'll feature every shout-out we receive on upcoming episodes of Highest Aspirations, and we'll let you know when to expect it so both you and the teacher you chose can hear it. Simply record the audio file any way you want and email it to us. For more information, including how to record and submit, go to elevationeducation.com slash community, and you'll see the link and the instructions on the homepage. Remember that Elevation has two L's. Second announcement is that our Elevation Scholarship application period is open until May 14th. If you know an English learner or former English learner who deserves a scholarship, please check out our post at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. We're excited to be receiving lots of applications, and we hope you will encourage your students to apply. Now on to this episode of Highest Aspirations. What effects do we see on educators from the secondhand trauma that they experience in the classroom? How can teachers best support their students to share their lived experiences, and how can teachers respond when they do? Are there ways that the responses to trauma that immigrant children face can inform our response to the trauma that students and teachers are experiencing during the pandemic? We discuss these questions and much more with Dr. Edith Trevino, known by her colleagues as Dr. E.T. Dr. E.T. served as a bilingual and ESL specialist for Region 1 in Edinburgh, Texas for two years. Her time at Region 1 was spent empowering 37 districts, universities, and charter schools in sheltered instruction, educational technology, ESL, bilingual, and innovation for all teachers and students. Dr. E.T. has empowered educators at the local, state, and national level. Additionally, Dr. E.T. is the co-author of The Death of My Mexican Name, published by Rethinking Bilingual Education. Dr. E.T.'s research is focused on teacher perceptions of Mexican immigrant students' lived experiences with border violence on the Texas-Mexico border. As you'll hear in our interview, Dr. E.T. brings her personal experiences with trauma and with being a transnational student who slipped through the cracks into everything she does. I really appreciated her courage and passion, and I'm sure you will too. Enjoy the conversation. Dr. Edith Trevino, or Dr. E.T., as I know your colleagues like to call you, thanks so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Steve. I'm super happy to be here. I am, too. This is about a month in the making. We had our first conversation. Thanks first to Dr. Carolina Lopez for recommending you. And after our initial discussion, I was so excited to chat with you. Um, And given recent events that we'll get into, I think um, this is a really kind of apropos episode, I think, uh, in terms of what we're going to discuss today. I, I want to start in a way that I don't normally start these interviews, um, but for you, I think it's really important. Um, I, I want to start by talking about your own sort of lived experience and how it led to the work that you're doing now. So you shared that with me, um, and I'd love you to kind of share that powerful story with our listeners, if you don't mind. Well, in 2007, uh, my family and myself were survivors. I like to use the word survivors instead of victims of border violence here in the United States. You know, my father 
um, was murdered. Um, and what happened is our children were being picked up from school with my mother. They showed up at my father's house like they usually did every day after school and they got off my mom's vehicle and they walked into a crime scene, you know. And um, that kind of changed everything for us, the tra trajectory of our lives, um, the way we saw the world, you know, on that day, my children learned that the world is not a very nice place, you know, initially. And so that kind of spun without me even knowing uh, the research that I actually started several years after that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I had asked you in advance if you wouldn't mind sharing it, because I know that that's obviously a very personal story. But I appreciate you doing it because, I, as you said, I think it's really going to kind of uh, lead into a lot of the, the stuff that we're going to talk about over the course of this conversation. So thanks again yes. uh, for that. Very brave of you. Um, all right. So, you know, in, you know, given that story as a context, um, I think most educators or all educators are aware that some students in their classes and particularly English learners and immigrant students are dealing with trauma, um, like the, like what you discussed and different kinds of trauma from their past. But what they um, what they know and the extent of their knowledge may be limited, uh, and I think is often limited. That was my experience as a teacher. So my first question for you, given all that, is why do you think that is the case, um, and how does it affect children's educational experiences? Well, on a level of the child it's not something that they're prone to sharing with people. You know, I know when that initially happened to us and, and we moved cities, you know, two of my older children were like, please don't tell anybody, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's not something you want to share with people in an interview. Why did you move? Oh, because my father was murdered. Because what happens is people create this perception of you that, well, maybe you are a part of the violence. You know, maybe you are a part of all this negativity that people talk about. So first of all, a lot of people try to keep this a secret. Um, in, in another situation when it comes to the teachers is that teachers have no idea, again, because it's not shared, that children have gone through these experiences. You know, I write in, in my research that we see faces, we see eyes, we see little kids or even adults, but we have no idea what they have experienced. We have no idea. And, um, you know, you do get to some situations where children do share their stories, uh, but even then the teachers are ill-equipped, you know, they, they don't know how to handle a situation. Exactly. And, and so that's something that started happening to me with my youngest son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you talked about two people. I mean, obviously, you know, this isn't, this isn't information that children are generally going to share. Most adults, frankly, aren't going to want to share that information. And then you have the situation with the teachers that aren't really equipped um, to, to handle that. And I mean, I, I saw that myself as, as a teacher working in a school um, that had students, many of whom were immigrants. And mo for, for me, it was mostly gang violence that I was confronted with. And here I am, 22 year old, you know, white, uh, uh, man coming into a classroom and I have these kids who have had these lived experience that I didn't I didn't couldn't really relate to and trying to support them through it and what I felt like I needed were resources to help me um, so that's kind of leads to my next question I mean you know you you, you, you talk about this this perception um, the teacher perception on students um, and you told me last time that we talked that teachers routinely broke down when you were interviewing them about that. And I can imagine myself doing the same thing if you were interviewing me about some of the situations that I had as a teacher. Give us an example of, of that and, and explain why it's, it's so important. 
Well, there's there's two different scenarios, right? And there's two different types of teachers. And, and in my research, it, well, going back to, to my son who was sharing these stories, um, just let me share this little story with you so I could answer the question. Please. And I remember this specific teacher would call me and she would say, your son needs to talk, stop talking about this. He needs to stop talking about blood. He needs to start talking about brain. He needs to stop talking about the guts and everything that he saw. That's not that's not what I'm here for, you know, and, and I don't need my other students listening to this. And what am I going to say to the parents? So she was totally like, um, very distanced, right. But which was rare, actually, when I conducted my research, the majority of the teachers that I that I interviewed, their responses were of breaking down. And I never expected that to happen. I mean, you know, part of the reason I didn't do the research with children is because that's very critical. That's opening a line of therapy and counseling, which, you know, I don't have a degree for. And I just wanted to know what teachers' perceptions were of their Mexican immigrant students because we live on the border. I was not prepared for the times that I had to stop the interview, that I had to share with them. You know, we do not need to continue. You do not need to answer the questions. And the questions were basically, what stories have children shared with you about border violence? And the stories were heartbreaking. I mean, stories that I knew because of the research and what I read, but having it come from them, you know, and I do remember one teacher saying, hold on, yes, I need to cry, but I refuse to stop because people need to know this. People need to hear this. They need to know what we're going through as teachers. Um, having your little students share with you that um, their sister was delivered, chopped up into little pieces in front of their house, but they couldn't report it because they were not, um, what's the term I'm looking for? They, they, they didn't have their documents, you know, and so they were afraid. Or students that had to leave Mexico without wanting to, just one day they, the mom said, hey, we got to go, we got to go. You can't even say by your grandmother, we're just going with what we're wearing right now. And so teachers um it you know for for the one or two teachers that were very negative about the situation with my son this brought me a lot of peace knowing that there is kindness in the world that these teachers were in a lot of pain and continue to be in a lot of pain and were desperate to find a way to help their students because one thing that they all kept saying was I as an adult could have not handled that situation that this 10 year old is telling me uh, that he has experienced. And it, it kind of changes your paradigm, you know, of how you see your student. Yeah, I mean, it's completely heartbreaking. And, you know, you, you just gave a couple examples of how teachers react. Obviously, the one with, with your son, that situation was not a very positive one. I, I, you know, I wonder if that teacher was kind of hiding his or her or their feelings about the situation and trying to kind of defend themselves. I mean, I don't know, and I'm in no position to, to say, but the other teachers to be, to be able to actually talk with somebody about it in an open form, I mean, that must've been really difficult for them, but I'm sure also in some ways therapeutic and maybe liberating. Did you get that perception? Yes, yes, because, you know, part of our research is whenever you see somebody in a, in a distressed state, you know, you tell them we don't have to continue and, and you can go see this therapist but for them they were like no finally I can talk about it this is something that I witness with my students yearly daily weekly and uh, you know they can't go talk to the counselor because again this is this is something that's kind of that what we like to call as a null curriculum it's there but it's silent nobody mm -hmm. talks about it nobody addresses it 
And, and for me, that's why my research was very important to me. And, and believe it or not, even um, when I was trying to write about it, I did have some professors say, no, you shouldn't be writing about that. That's going to send a ne negative, um, you know, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's going to give a negative example to people about Mexican immigrants. And I, I said, no, that's, that's not even what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that our students' lived experience has to matter and has to count, you know, whether it's historical or political. Um, and we can't just act like it doesn't exist. And so to me, the big eye-opener, I knew kids were hurting because my own children were in a lot of pain uh, emotionally and mentally. But I had no idea that our teachers were this feeling the same way. Yeah, you know, you know, the lived experience is something we'll keep coming back to because I think that's really important. The lived experiences of these students are oftentimes very different than the lived experiences for the teachers. Uh, but the reactions to this kind of trauma, you know, are 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 both um, significant. Let's say for on on both ends. Yes. Um, so so, you know. What, what's missing in this equation? What resources and supports do teachers need in order first to access the information they need about student trauma? I mean, this is like, it's not like getting data about, uh, you know, the, the, the speaking level of, of an English learner in your class. Exactly. This, is a, this is different. So how do they get those yes. resources in, and do they have access to them? I mean, how does well, it even happen? In my findings, uh, what the re results were is that the school districts they have no idea that this is going on or you know and many refuse to see it it's not something that we talk about like right now you know we're talking about social emotional because of covid it's something that's very prevalent but uh the lived experience dealing with border violence or any kind of trauma is not something that the districts are aware of and so teachers have no way to access any type of support now when I was a teacher and I had children, you know, and teachers knew that I was doing the research, they would come to me and they would say, oh my gosh, I just read Esperanza Rising and my little student ran out of the room screaming hysterically um, because the same thing happened to her dad. What do I do, you know? And so there is really not a whole lot um, recognition, recognition of this phenomenon within our children. So we kind of have to, as one of my teachers said, I just do the best that I can, you know, with what I have. And I try to, I quote her, uh, well, I quote the person and the person said, I, I figure it out. I try to do what I can to figure it out. But is that good? Is that good enough? I mean, absolutely not. That, that is uh, in a way um, ignoring our, our children, you know, because in education we have equity and we have equality and we need to address the issues that our students have. But now, so when, when, you know, when we're talking about testing for kids, right, we're talking about testing and especially for ESL students. And we also need to remember that on the surface, they have a lot of trauma that's going on. And many of our children, you know, and my research is on Mexican American students, Mexican uh, immigrants. But of course, I'm talking about all students, Vietnam, mm -hmm. Germany, mm -hmm. um, Honduras, they travel many miles to be here. And some of them through horrendous, uh, experiences getting on the bestia and getting on that train and many of them are raped or kidnapped and on top of all that you know as teachers were like hey why aren't you passing my test well hold on I mean do you even know what this child has experienced you know it, it goes back to crashing and and the theory of that if we're not in a good place 
how are we going to learn? How am I going to yeah. learn if I'm thinking when I get home, is everybody going to be deported or is everybody killed and murdered? I mean, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, here all the time now, like Maslow's before Bloom's, you know, that social emotional because of the pandemic. And we'll, and we'll get to the, how this relates in some way later. I think that that's an important point. But I just, it, you know, it's 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 difficult to to go on with this conversation without, I think, realizing that without having access to this information, it's it's really, really difficult, right, for teachers to be able to do what they need to do. But the second piece is, um, you know, once once we know or if we know about uh, a child's lived experience, um, you know, what, what do we do about it? I mean, particular, particularly when there's trauma involved, like my example is, you know, I, I a student came to me after school and was saying how, you know, that she was from um, Cambodia and they brought her in and, and there was a gang in the in the in the city and they wanted her to, to join the gang. And if they didn't, they were going to harm family members, you know, and harm her and, and maybe even worse. And so she told me these things and I had, I, I had no idea what to do. It was good that I knew that this was happening so I could kind of support her through her learning or understand that learning wasn't happening for a specific reason. But once we know this or other things, what is it that we need to do as educators? Well, as educators, we need to be very open-minded and I think most of us are um, compassionate and not silence their voices. You know, wow, that happened to you. Um, tell me more, or do you, do you wanna write about it? And, and it's also, there's a very thin line because if we ask a lot of questions that of course triggers trauma, but once we know enough, and if we have the resources to go to somebody and say, you know, this child has um, experienced this horrific um, life, experience, you know, how can we support them? For me, I always enjoyed talking to my students and I always um, was very open about, because what will happen is they'll share something with you in front of everybody. And the moment we say, this is not the time and place, um, what happens is they recognize, well, I'm a bad person. This is not a good topic. And they shut down. Yeah. And they shut down. But if we can kind of connect that conversation to whatever it is that we're learning, you know, um, whether it be social studies, history, life in general. Um, I know many of my teachers in, in my interviews shared with me that they always knew when a student enrolled in their classrooms late in the year, like April, you know, April, you got a month left of school, that they always knew in their hearts. And so they would try to figure out if it was a children that was introvert, was not speaking ever, they would create these lunches, you know, she would say, okay, I'm going to have five people for lunch with me today. And so to start just these conversations, tell me about your life, how are things in, you know, your country, and slowly, the children would start um, sharing because your story, and what happened to you make you who you are, you know, and one thing that I shared with my students, because I, I used to volunteer with the Young Center, and I had a little boy from Honduras who actually was on the Bestia, and he, um, was kidnapped in Mexico with his brother. I mean, all these atrocities happened before he made it to the border. And I remember telling him, you know what, Sudi? You've already experienced the worst that any child could experience. Learning English is gonna be, and I remember telling him, it's gonna be papitas, which yeah. means easy. Yeah. You know, it means potatoes, but really means easy. I said, learning English is gonna be easy for you. 
And so for me, it's instead of looking at the student as, oh my gosh, this child went through this horrible thing, validating that and finding the good in it, um, you know, and, and using that power um, to help them achieve and, and, and create their goals. You know, it's, um, we all have something good to bring to the table. And I, I, you know, when I share stories or I speak in conferences, you'd be surprised how many people teachers wait until everybody leaves and then they'll come and tell me, oh my gosh, this happens to me every day. I don't know where to go to, who to talk to. Or some of them actually have experienced it, but they've never told a soul because they're mm -hmm. embarrassed, you know, that they're going to be judged. Um, it's just so much. It, it, it's, um, it's a lot for, for young minds and, and for teachers to, to handle. Yeah. And, you know, you're starting to do what I'd hoped that we would do in, in the sort of middle of this conversation. And that's kind of to, to head toward the positive. I mean, we've talked about a lot of really heavy things um, because we have to, because they exist and they're out there and it's important that we discuss them. Um, but, you know, finding the, the positive, as you said, or using these experiences to help um, accelerate learning of English or whatever the case may be, or, or to get them in a place where they're comfortable and build relationships is so important. Hi, everyone. I'm Teddy Rice, president and co-founder of Elevation. The Highest Aspirations podcast was created to keep you informed and inspired around the issues that matter most to the students you serve. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about how we can help strengthen your EL program. Reach out to us anytime at info at elevationeducation.com to set up a time to chat. Now, back to highest aspirations. One thing that you said last time we talked that really resonated with me, and I've heard it before, but given your experience and your work, it really resonated when you said this. And you said, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but you said, until you meet an immigrant kid, an immigrant kid, excuse me, and know their life, you can't truly appreciate the experiences. It really changes you. Um, given that powerful quote, and I totally agree with you, um, how would you recommend that educators go about getting to know these students better so we can help promote large scale changes in mindset? You gave the example of the lunch, which I think is a great one. W what else? I you know, and research tells us that when we make connections with kids, it changes everything. They'll do anything for you. They will learn, but they need to know that we care. And I know it sounds like a cliche because everybody says it's not how much you teach, it's how much you care. But really uh, caring and understanding because what will happen is the minute you find out this student, and I'll share a story with you. I'm a storyteller. I had a student that as a teacher, I was very involved and I would dress up and, you know, I just was just not your original teacher, your traditional teacher. And that doesn't surprise me. That's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I remember this little boy was always like off. He, he, he would look at me, but, and so I, I did some digging and I found out that his mother was shot in front of him at a barbecue and murdered. That changed me. I was like, okay, this little boy needs a whole lot more, you know, and I don't know if maybe what I'm doing, maybe something's reminding him maybe because it kind of, it changes you in the way that you teach and not in the way that you're going to be easier on the student, but recognizing uh, and validating their life because it, what they've learned is an experience, right? And experience with experience come assets. So um, to me is get to know your students. You'd be surprised. And Right now, with everything that's going on in this country, you know, I, I tell people, yes, you know, people are 
commenting these kids and these kids and these kids. And, and I, I'll tell them, whoever it is, take five minutes to get to know a student, an immigrant student from any country. Ask them how they got here. Ask them how their life was. Just anything. And I guarantee you, your heart will be open because you'll, you'll see another side, that human side that we don't get to see on TV. You know, and the majority of the children will tell you, I didn't, I didn't want to be here. I was dragged here. You know, I still want to be living, you know, over there. And, and even though it was dangerous and I didn't have food, but it's who I knew, right? Imagine being, you know, I talk about in one of my books, like you, you're like a plant. Somebody digs you up and plants you somewhere else. Well, it's going to take a while before you flourish. It's very hard to it, imagine us. And I think we talked about that last time. Imagine if tomorrow you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to move. I got to go to Germany or I got to go to Mexico. It, it's, it's crazy, you know? Um, and so that's the only thing that I ask teachers and I ask my colleagues is give yourself five minutes to get to know the kid. And I don't mean it on the surface. What do you like to eat? No, just find a way through your lessons. Uh, to get to know your students. And I guarantee you, you know, your, your mind, your paradigm about the student will change. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. And finding the time and uh, is, is certainly an investment, especially now when everything's crazy and we're doing remote learning and it's more difficult to do, but it is just that it is an investment. And I hear that over and over again um, from people, especially now those relationships now matter more than ever, even though they may be harder to forge over Zoom or whatever the case may be. Hopefully that's not something that, that we'll be talking about for too much longer. Um, yes. <laughs> so, you know, sticking with kind of the asset-based approach here, um, and, and I don't know how much it's, it's related and I don't, I no way mean to kind of um, compare two things that are, that are incomparable. I mean, the experiences that you've just mentioned, the level of trauma uh, are, are significantly, I think, higher than at least acutely higher than what we're sort of dealing with now. But, you know, we do have students now who are dealing with a different kind of trauma uh, from the pandemic, uncertainty, loss, um, routines, a total mess, maybe the only safe place they know, school not being available to them. So how might the work that you have done with the kind of trauma that we're talking about now help us as so many students and teachers are now starting to think about coming back to school and going back to this routine with, like I said, maybe a different kind of trauma as a result of the pandemic. Do they relate or am I off there? No, you, they, they totally relate because when this was happening, I remember thinking, okay, this is trauma because trauma is when you know, your life is shaken. It's changed drastically from one moment to the next. And, and there's different types of traumas, the types of traumas that keeps happening or children trauma or whatever, but I right away recognize this is trauma because everybody's life is changed, you know, and, and then in the whole year, people have died, people have passed away. Um, you know, I just went to a retreat this last week that I volunteered in for a church and a lot of the responses when we asked the children, how do you feel right now? The majority of them said sad and it, it broke my heart, you know, because sometimes you think, okay, why are you sad? You have a house, you have a home, you know, you're not sleeping on the street, but this is a different experience, right? And so we need to be very careful with that, especially when our kids are coming back, things are not gonna be the same. And so um, I'm actually working on a book right now dealing with coming back to school after COVID. How do us ourselves as teachers also, how do we take care of ourselves to be able to take care of our students and to help our students? And 
I met so many amazing teachers in this journey who go above and beyond. Um, and so now my focus is how do we take care of them so that they can take care of students? And I always go back, I always go back to lived experience. What is this teaching me as horrible as it may be? What is this teaching me? It's teaching me to be stronger, maybe to learn technology, because what's happening is when, when we go through trauma, and this is what a therapist told me once, because during my research, I, I was seeing a therapist, the, the research on border violence was too painful and thinking of my dad and all that. And one thing that she shared with me was, if you have changed as a person for the better, then you have become, you know, you have thrived. And that's one thing that I tell my teachers and my students. Yes, what's happening right now, nobody likes it, it's painful, but think about the person you will become when this is over. And if we grew from it, if we learned from it, then it was worth it. Yeah, well said. And I think people like you are in a really good position to teach the rest of us how to kind of deal with it. And I think you said it in a really positive way. You know, if you become a better person, um, that is obviously the best result, or you do your job better, whatever the case may be, uh, the best result of the, the trauma or better said, the lived experience that you've just been. more compassionate. I mean, there's so many things that as teachers, we have learned, you know, to, to just see things through a different lens, instead of just seeing it one way, look at it through different lenses. Yeah. Well, uh, as we wrap up, I want to ask you, and I know you, you've you've uh, written some books as well, so I want to make sure that we highlight those. But I'm curious if there is a book or other resource that has influenced you profoundly in your personal or professional life that you'd like to share with listeners. Well, I lo- I personally love the Book of Joy um, from the Dalai Lama because um, you know having for me having experienced trauma, you know having my father, my best friend who I loved be murdered and have my children walk in and all that. It, it was very hard to find good in that. You know, it took me several years. And so now I'm at a place where no matter what happens to us um, in this book, the Dalai Lama talks about, you know, it will turn you into a better person, even though you don't want to, nobody's asking for it. I didn't ask for this. So we didn't ask for it, but it, it'll be either more compassionate, kinder, more you know, patient, um, braver. So now when things happen to me, when bad things happen to me, I always resort back to that. Did anybody get killed? Did anybody die? No. Okay. I can handle this situation, you see? And so I've read a lot of books, but that's one that really resonated with me because it's also spiritual, but um, that's my favorite book of all times. I appreciate you sharing that and not a book that I have read. And I often say on the podcast that I, I don't know whether I ask guests uh, that question for our listeners or for myself, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully everybody's uh, benefiting from it. Um, okay, so we just really scraped the surface of so much, and this was a really rich conversation, but uh, there's a lot more to learn. So I'd love for you to just let us know how people can learn more about the work that you're doing. Okay, well, you can find me on my website at dretandcompany.org. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter at Dr. E.T. on the border. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and then I'm on Facebook, Dr. E.T. Trevino. And so, or you could just search my name and it'll pop up. On all of my books, uh, workbooks, you can find them on Amazon. You just type in my name. And I actually always give people my cell number and my email. If they have questions and 
I've never received a crazy or creepy message. The other day I did receive a message. Somebody said, I love you. And I was like, okay, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> I didn't respond. But usually people will, will ask me, hey, I'm in this situation or um, wh where can I find the book? Or, And I'm usually, I, I usually respond. Great. Well, we really appreciate that. And we'll put all of that information uh, on the show notes so people can can find that. And um, uh, Dr. E.T., I just want to thank you so much for uh, for not only the information you shared, but for your just bravery and vulnerability. Uh, you know, you've been through a tremendous amount. And, um, you know, like when I asked if, if you would share that information on the podcast about your own lift experience, you had no problem doing it. And um, I'm sure that's still difficult for you. And I just, it's, it's just refreshing. So uh, as difficult as it is. So thank you so much for, for being uh, so brave on here and, uh, and just in the work you do really appreciate it. And, and thank you, Steve. And, and thank you for the work that your team is doing with Elevation for all of our students for, for caring enough for them to dig deeper and find out what our students are going through that that's what did it for me in, in wanting to be here. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's it for this episode of Highest Aspirations. But before we go, here's this week's teacher shout out. Hello, my name is Michael McAdon from Dallas, Texas. And I'd like to thank Ms. Flanagan for creating a love for reading in her first grade students, of which my son is one, at Ham Elementary in Rockwall, Texas, helping them overcome the interruptions that they had in their formal education during their kindergarten year. To submit your shout out, go to elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.